Hey everyone, Happy New Year, and welcome to another episode of Bothell Amplified, the first episode of 2023. Uh, we're so glad you're with us. We hope that this new year is off to a great start for you and your loved ones. Here at Bothell, we launched a new sermon series called Do Justice, looking at the ways God is calling us to live into our purpose of becoming Christ in the community, uh, drawing from Isaiah 42, uh, verses 1 through 9. Check out this first sermon here. Good morning, my name is Candace, and this morning we begin a new four-week sermon series, Do Justice, and turn to Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or lift up his voice, or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. These are holy words for God's people. You know, this week I, I was spending a lot of time uh, connecting with friends and family. Uh, with the new year, with the holidays, I was, you know, writing cards or receiving cards. Um, I, we were calling and FaceTiming and, and connecting with people. And I was talking to my brother, uh, and my brother, uh, he and his wife, uh, just moved uh, from uh, Florida to Tennessee. And uh, we are just, he was just, I'll just call it what it is, he was complaining, right? Like, moving is hard, packing bags, packing boxes. And uh, as we were doing, as he was packing, and as they were packing, we were talking about some of the things that, uh, uh, just reminiscent of, of times past, right? Um, oh yeah, that, that, that picture frame that we all took together, or oh yeah, that book that uh, someone bought me, or, or this other gift, or whatever it was. And we we're talking about his new place uh, in Tennessee, and I was, I was asking him, I was like, hey, uh, so how are you going to fit all, you have kind of a smaller place in Tennessee than you do in Florida, how are you going to fit everything? And he said... Um, well, well, we'll prioritize the important things. And I asked him, I was like, which one of the things that I bought you will make the cut? <laughs> uh, he, he didn't answer, so uh, we'll see what happens. But I was thinking about that, right? What are the important things as we think about our community, as we think about um, church, as we think about who we are? What are the important things? And as we start this uh, Sunday, as I mentioned, being our first Sunday gathered in community, uh, I want to 
form that foundation for us and remind us that who we are, who God calls us to be, is one where all are welcome and all belong. Amen, someone. Right? We claim that and we proclaim that every week. And we do it because we want to actually live into it. We want to name that whoever you are, whether you've come to our church your whole lives, whether this is your first time here, online or on site, that you are welcome and that you belong. If you had great weeks, if you had reasons to celebrate and to shout, uh, awesome. And if you've had weeks that have been particularly hard, we want to affirm that too. We don't want you to check those at the door. We want you to bring that with you. And we want you to bring all of who you are into this time together. Because all of us, exactly for who God created each one of us to be, we make up this beautiful community. And in this time, we want to name again and again that you are welcome and that you belong. Now, we also want to recognize that there are places in our world and our society, even in places of worship, where that's not true where that's not always the case, where people are kept out or pushed out or marginalized and oppressed, we want to name that for this time that we have together, that you are welcome and that you belong. So what that means for us is this. If you are gay or lesbian, transgender, bisexual, or questioning, know that you are welcome and know that you belong. If you're black or brown or indigenous, if you've been discriminated against because of the color of your skin, know that you are welcome, know that you belong. If you're single or divorced or partnered or separated, know that you are welcome. Know that you belong. If you're homeless or houseless or in the lower economic brackets of our community, know that you are welcome. Know that you belong. With all of your unique gifts and abilities created to be bearers of Christ's image to all the world, know that you are welcome. Know that you belong. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Holy God, be present here and in all the places from which we are worshiping. Move in us and through us that we too would be moved and changed. Speak to us, we pray. Less of me, more of you. None of me, all of you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Many of you have heard the story before. Uh, It's one that I find myself thinking about every time New Year's uh, comes around. It's a story of Rabbi Akiva. Akiva, he was a famous and influential teacher in the late first century, uh, early second century. And and the story goes something like this. Uh, Rabbi uh, Akiva was teaching one day when it was time to go home. He was on his way home, traveling along the Sea of Galilee. And he was doing what most God-fearing, good scholars do on their walks and in their free time. He was reflecting on and meditating on Scripture. And so he's on his way home, and he's so focused on the text that he realizes that he went the wrong way. He should have made a left to go to his town. Instead, he makes a right, and he follows along this path that gets him uh, before this big gates of this Roman fortress. And he's stuck there when all of a sudden he hears a voice cry out, Hey, who are you, and what are you doing here? And he's so startled that he could only respond, what? So this guard, this Roman guard, who's keeping watch on the top of this fortress, he calls down again. He says, who are you and what are you doing here? And Rabbi Akiva, he takes a few moments to gather his thoughts. And then he shouts back up and he says, how much do you get paid to stand up there and ask me that? And the guard this time, he's startled. He's, uh, I mean, I don't know, uh, two days wages every week or so? 
And the rabbi calls back up and he says, Hey, I'll pay you double that if you stand outside my door every morning and ask me those same two questions. Who are you and what are you doing here? Think about that as we enter into this new year. Actually, I want to invite you. Turn to a neighbor and ask them, who are you? Actually, maybe say good morning first and then do it. But I I really mean it. Do it. Turn to somebody, and if you're worshiping online, say it to the screen. All right, now turn to another neighbor and ask them, why, what are you doing here? Anybody respond? Any good responses? (laughs) You know, I've asked myself that a lot, right? I've asked these questions a lot these past few weeks, especially as it relates to our church. Uh, Who are you? What are you doing here? I've been thinking about how COVID has challenged us in so many ways. And in some ways, I, I think that even more so the attempt to come back from and to recover from and to build again post-COVID has forced us to reevaluate who we are and what we're doing here. Right? What does it mean for us to be church? What does it mean for us to do church? What does it mean for us to live into our purpose of becoming Christ in the community? Who are we and what are we doing here? These next four weeks, we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at one aspect of that, and we're going to focus on the concept of doing justice. What does it mean for us to do justice? And we're going to start in 2nd Isaiah. And I say 2nd Isaiah because of this. In, in the book of Isaiah, right, is, is actually, as it's comprised as one book, is actually three unique moments in time put together as one. First Isaiah, which is uh, chapters 1 through 39, takes place, is written in uh, sometime in the 8th century BCE. It's in Jerusalem, and it's while the Israelites are still living an autonomous life, right? So they are no, they're not ruled by any other foreign uh, governments or foreign kingdoms. So chapters 1 through 39, the theme is really around um, judgment and how they interact with the other communities. We get to 2nd Isaiah, which is sometime in the mid-6th century, and it's when the Israelites are in uh, exile. They're they're physically located in Babylon. And then 3rd Isaiah, which is chapters 55 to the end, is written sometime uh, in the mid, uh, or in the early 6th century, and it's when the people are now back home, right? So our text, which is chapter 42, it happens to find itself in 2nd Isaiah, and this is really important. Because not only for our text, this Isaiah text, but I would suggest that all of Scripture has to be read with context. Okay? So it's important. All of Scripture has to be read with and in context. And so we go back all the way to Genesis. There's a man named Abram. And God speaks to Abram and says that God will make him a great nation, that all the other families and nations of the world will be blessed through him, But God also tells him that in some time, his families will experience uh, a time period where they become aliens in a foreign land, that they'll be enslaved there and that they'll be oppressed. And that gets us to Exodus, right? Because in Exodus, we start with the Israelites in Egypt as slaves. And they're there until God hears their cries and delivers them, leading them out through the wilderness to the promised land, to a place called Canaan. 
And as they settle, they become this nation. They become this, uh, they rule themselves. They become prosperous. They, they build a temple, which, which, which is this place where God resides in their midst. And for centuries, they exist in this covenantal relationship with God. They exist in this promised relationship with God. And so they do what any civilization does. They raise up kings and generals. They see victories and defeats. They prosper and they experience famine. They stray from the covenant, but then the prophets bring them back. And then in the 6th century, the unthinkable happens. Right? This Neo-Babylonian empire rises in the region, and under its greatest king, King Nebuchadnezzar II, they conquer the region, including where the Israelites are living, in, in the kingdom of Judah. And they march towards this capital city of Jerusalem, and they defeat any and all resistance along the way, and they destroy the temple. They destroy the very place where God resides. They, they take all of the resources, they, they take the people into bondage, they put them in the chains and march them all the way back to Babylon. This victory was absolute. This was a complete devastation of all of their political and social and economic and religious life that they had experienced with God as God's people throughout the centuries. And it's in this moment, it's into this moment that the prophet Isaiah declares that God has prepared a servant, right? One who has received God's spirit upon him, one who will bring forth justice to the nations. It's in that context. That's important. So two things about this servant, though. The first is this. I want to make this claim that we don't know who Isaiah was talking about. Okay? Now, as modern Christians, modern-day Christians, it's, it's easy for us to look back and to read this text through a Christian lens, right? A, you can point to the obvious, right? The servant that God is, or that Isaiah is speaking about, that God has prepared, is Jesus, and then we can be done with it, right? The text is good. And I'm not saying that's wrong, right? I want you to hear me. I'm not saying that's wrong. I, I believe in prophecy, and I also know that I don't know the ways and wills of the Spirit and how the Spirit moves, and so perhaps Isaiah, through the Spirit, was talking about Jesus, maybe, okay? And also, remember the context. Right? Jesus is born some 500 years later. These Israelites, they're people who are exiled in Babylon. They lost everything. They lost their land. They lost their possessions. They even lost their identity. They, they lost their connection with God. And, and Isaiah is writing to them that there will be a servant who will be brought forth to bring justice to the nation. We don't know who Isaiah is talking about. Now, just a few chapters later, chapter 45, we do meet of a man named Cyrus. He's king of Persia. And the Cyrus will, in fact, be part of God's plan to deliver Israel back to the land. This king eventually defeats the Babylonians. He releases Israel from captivity, and he allows them to return back. Even he provides them resources to rebuild the temple. But I don't think that Isaiah was talking about Cyrus either. Because if we go to verse 2 and 3, we say, He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, 
and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. We're not looking for a servant who declares himself to have power and authority. We're not looking for someone who is boisterous and arrogant. We're not looking for someone who can conquer by force or by might. So, probably not Jesus. Probably not Cyrus. Probably not us. At least not yet. Uh, This word for servant, it's evid in in Hebrew. Evid is better defined as slave or subject. And it's used throughout Scripture to describe in a relationship the lower or even the lowest in the relationship. Think about uh, a slave to a master. Think about a subject or a servant to a king. That's the kind of relationship that we're looking for. So I'm not sure if Isaiah is talking about a literal slave or servant, but, but I wonder what it would mean for us to posture ourselves in that way. You see, when I, when I say that the servant that Isaiah is naming is probably not us, I can't help but think about the privilege and status that most of us carry in some form or fashion. And then I'm left to really wonder, can any of us be bearers of justice at all? I'm able-bodied. I'm a heterosexual man. I live and I work in middle to upper class suburbia, and I act like it. Don't we all? Men, white folk, able-bodied folk, employed folk, heterosexual folk, cisgendered folk. What does it look like for us to acknowledge our privilege, to wrestle with all that our privilege affords us, And then to posture our lives and our very beings, humbled in a way that allows us to receive that portion of the spirit that God desires to put upon us and then to bring forth justice to the nations. What might that look like? Here's the second thing about this servant. Even in the midst of being in a foreign land, even while being exiled, despite the devastation and hopelessness that exists in their very beings, the prophet Isaiah declares that this servant is not just for the Israelites. And can you imagine how the Israelites might have heard this prophecy? Right? They're suffering in Babylon, and they become excited and energized because God speaks to the prophet Isaiah. Finally, a word from God that will deliver them back to their home out of exile. But God doesn't say that this servant will bring justice for just us or just the Israelites. The servant will bring forth justice to the nations, plural. Right? In fact, God doesn't even say that, hey, I am just your God. I am just the God of your people. In Scripture, the text that Candace read for us, tells us that God is the God who created the heavens, stretched them out, who spread out the whole earth and all that comes from it, who gives breath to all people, who gives the Spirit to all who walk in it. God has given the servant as a covenant to all people, a light to all the nations, plural. See, this work of justice, 
It's one that's going to require us to humble ourselves, to lower ourselves than the other, to accept the current realities of our privilege and to reject the very systems that allow for it. And then to recognize that justice is not just for some, but for everyone, including people who don't look like us, who don't think like us, who don't act like us. There's this amazing story that I remember from a few years back. It's, it's about uh, the Bethel Church at The Hague. And there's this family, uh, five. They were living in the Netherlands at the time. And, uh, and they've been living there for nine years. They, they fled Armenia uh, because of political persecution. And they went through uh, various legal battles. The government tried twice to deport them. A court had ruled that they had the right to remain. But there was a third deportation order that was upheld by the courts. And this family sought asylum at Bethel Church. And this was uh, October 26, 2018. For the next 2,327 hours straight... Bethel Church held a service. Nonstop, for 2,327 hours straight, Bethel held a church service. It's because a Dutch law prohibits police officers from entering a church while a religious service is happening. So they say that over a thousand pastors and priests, they took part of this thousands hours of service. They led in shifts, And that the community rallied. They participated in the service. They were present during the service. They brought food and other ways of support to the service. Here's what one of the children, she uh, she was one of the uh, three children of this family. She wrote this poem uh, describing this experience. She says, around the clock, seven days a week, we praise and worship God. It makes the flowers in my heart grow It makes me thankful in a way I've never been before. I love this. She describes this experience as praise and worship of God. Someone missed their amen cue. This is good. (laughs) In the bleakest moments of her life, fleeing a government where she left with her family nine years ago at the potential of being sent back. She says, it's a praise and worship of God. Why? I want to suggest to each one of us today that the act of justice is praise and worship of God. And we're going to flip it too. Praise and worship of God is an act of justice. Who are you? What are you doing here? Church, if what we do, if the ways in which we we relate to God does not infuse in us and relate out of us an act of justice, what are we doing here? That's praise and worship. That's what it means for us to come together in community, to be the people that God calls us to be, and to live into our purpose of becoming Christ in the community. That's why we come to the table. 
We're going to come to the table for communion in just a moment. And I think that we do so because we understand that even being at the table is an act of justice. Think about it for a second, right? We come to the table and we eat together. It's it's a time when we forget who brought what, whose is whose, mine is yours. It's a time when we recognize that everything at the table is shared. There's no hierarchy. Come to the table as you are. Come bringing all of who you are because all are invited, because you are invited, because the person next to you is also invited. No one is better than the other. We're all going to use spoons and forks and chopsticks and knives. We're going to use our hands. We're going to get messy. We're going to spill food and spill drinks, and we're going to wipe our mouths with napkins. We're going to sweat if it's spicy, and we're going to not like some of the food. That's all okay because we do it together. And in a time when society tells us that it's better to be apart, in a time when society suggests that there is so much division in our culture that we can't be together, we break down those barriers and we say, we'll come to the table anyway. We, together, will come to the table anyway. Maybe that's why we do this. Maybe that's why we do this, because we remember that in our praise and in our worship, we look to one another. We look to our community and we say, you also, together, we can do this work of justice. Amen. All right, so that was the first sermon of this series, Do Justice. I'm really looking forward to the rest of these series. We're going to spend three more weeks, uh, including a sermon from Pastor Kristen later on. But for the meantime, we hope you have a wonderful week and continue to expand the ways that we too might do justice in all of our communities, seeking out transformation in the world. Have a wonderful week, and we'll talk to you soon.